Welcome to Peak Market Watch, bringing listeners the latest news in the commercial real estate industry. Every other Wednesday, Anton Matley from Peak Financing will interview a variety of investors, brokers, syndicators, vendors, and finance experts who live and breathe commercial real estate. Whether you are a commercial real estate professional or completely new to the industry, Peak Market Watch will give you an inside look into the state of the market from experts who know it best. Let's get into the show. Welcome to today's episode of Peak Financing's Market Watch. Uh, we speak with market leaders in commercial real estate and related services who have a close pulse on the current environment. My name is Anton Madley, co-founder and CEO of Peak Financing. I'm honored to welcome George Newberry, founder, chairman and CEO of AHP Servicing. Uh, welcome, George. It's a pleasure to have you with us today. Uh, why don't you give us a brief background about you as well as AHP servicing. Hey, I appreciate that, Anton, and thanks for having me on the show. Uh, I'll give a brief history. Uh, personally, I was a, um, a big multifamily investor starting in 1990. I bought four units in South Central Los Angeles, and I built, um, over the next uh, 14 years, I built a portfolio of over 4,000 units across the United States, and uh, an ice storm hit my biggest holding, 1,100 units in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, were severely impacted by an ice storm, which occurred uh, Christmas Eve, 2004. And uh, that uh, triggered an extraordinary sequence of events in which I lost everything and ended up $26 million in debt. Uh, so that ended up ended my multifamily career. Uh, but I rebuilt myself through um, American Home Owner Preservation, AHP, which started out as a nonprofit to help families at risk of foreclosure stay in their homes. We started this in 2007 and eight. I use my experience uh, from when I had, um, when I was overwhelmed with debt and I was able to, to use that experience um, with families across the America, millions of families who were now um, struggling with unaffordable debt. And I was able to use that experience to devise strategies that were helpful to them. Uh, we started out as a nonprofit, but we um, eventually, um, became a for-profit and started buying the mortgages. And that's where we really had uh, the most success, both in terms of company profitability, but also in terms of um, achieving our social mission. We could buy these loans at big discounts from banks and hedge funds and uh, in pools. And then we would um, share some of those discounts with the families. Um, and we were able to achieve some uh, and have been some great results over the last decade. We've purchased more than uh, 10,000 uh, distressed mortgages um, across the country. And we've also morphed into um, a couple of other businesses. We still buy mortgages, but we're also a national servicer, AHP servicing. We service uh, across the country, um, both for loans owned by AHP and loans owned by third parties. And we recently started, or last year started a, uh, another platform called Pre-REO, where we are able to um, serve as a platform for hedge funds and eventually banks who want to sell their distressed mortgages to uh, local investors who can simply buy them uh, one by you know one offs one by one, and many a times we're selling to you know a, a real estate investor, especially in today's market where there's so few REOs. Uh, many a times it's attractive to buy a pre REO, which is a distressed mortgages a distressed mortgage earlier in the cycle, and um, and, and typically at a much greater discount than when they could buy an REO for. So that's what. We've been up to, uh, and I, I think you know, with with uh, with what we anticipate to be a, a significant um, you know market disruption, you know, in the next six to twelve to twenty four months, 
you know, everything we do today is kind of geared up for that. Okay, very good. Uh, thanks for, for that introduction. Um, uh, a lot of our listeners still are in the commercial uh, field, right? A lot of them are multifamily investors, but also in retail offices and so on. Uh, but I think it's uh, uh, very valuable to hear from, from your end on the single family side how things are going, uh, right? Because uh, obviously multifamily, particularly in the B and C class space, where a lot of uh, private investors are investing in, uh, it's not in a vacuum, it's not operating in a vacuum, mm -hmm. right? Uh, whatever happens in the single family world has a direct impact on multifamily too, particularly B and C class properties. And that's only the case when it comes to, to rent increases, obviously with single family homes, as we know now, with COVID-19, uh, uh, having that massive impact uh, with with property values uh, jumping uh, anywhere from 10% to 20, 30%, sometimes even more in certain markets. And that makes uh, affordability obviously a big issue, uh, which pushes more people into uh, into the renting uh, rental market, which certainly short term has an impact, a positive impact on the multifamily space, particularly in the B and C class space. Uh, but I uh, wanted to get a sense from you how you see that uh, what is happening in in the single family world, what has happened over the last. Uh, over the last year since COVID-19 hit and uh, how also from an investor perspective, what the impact was for people that invested in directly in single family homes, as well as invested in, in notes that obviously you're also offering investors a platform to invest in, in these notes. Yeah, I appreciate sharing that, Anton. We, we're powered by crowdfunding. So actually investors can come to our site, ahpservicing.com and invest in a fund that invests in distressed mortgages. And we've done, we've been crowdfunding since 2013. We've done, this is our sixth fund. Uh, we did five, uh, we did four uh, 506C funds, which are funds uh, which you can crowdfund, you can generally solicit, but you can only take money from accredited investors. So that was the first four funds. In 2016, we did our first regulation A plus offering, which allows us to generally solicit, but also accept investments from accredited and non-accredited investors. And that was a big um, um, turning point for us in terms of um, uh, accessibility to just almost anyone can invest. And one of the things we did was we lowered our minimum investment, which was previously $10,000. We lowered it to $100. And so for $100, anyone can invest online. They can do it in a few minutes. And that was a, um, it was part marketing because it, it, it was, wow, they, you can invest for only $100. But also, I think it gave a really low entry point, a really easy entry point for investors to, to participate. And we literally had one investor who put in $100. And like three or four months later, they put in a million dollars. I think the first hundred was just, okay, let me see how this thing works. And it worked. And so they put in a million. So there is a, um, uh, I mean, people say crowdfunding, how much money can you raise? We've raised almost $100 million um, online through crowdfunding. So it's been been um, been really helpful. Now, um, but we own tens of millions of dollars in loans uh, when COVID hit. And I'll tell you, I was very concerned, both you know loans and, and some REOs. 
And I was thinking, oh, this is going to be really bad for our book. You know, we're going to, um, there's going to be some um, value adjustments. And, and I was thinking it was going to be value adjustments going down. Uh, what's happened, as you alluded to, has been the complete opposite. Uh, we started seeing it last summer where we had our first one. Uh, we, had, we had actually foreclosed on a home. I'll just give it a, an example in Akron, Ohio. And at that time, we had an agent go out there and I believe they think that, hey, if you do a little bit of work, we can probably get this sold for 80 to 90,000. And, uh, but because of COVID, we were not able to get the deed until July. And so now we were able to get the deed. We could finally put the property on the market. And, uh, and this is the sheriff because the sheriff's office, they closed. And so we couldn't even get the deed from the sheriff for all, the, all this for months. But now we put it on the market. We, and we send the agent out there and say, hey, you know, let's get it listed. You know, what do you think you can sell for? He said, probably 120. So it went almost a 25% increase in, in just a, several months. And we put it on the market at 120. And again, this is last summer, uh, multiple offers. And we had one offer, which I think was 128. So 8,000 over asking. And they said, hey, there was some kind of clause in there that if there's any other offers, you know, we'll match them up to an additional $5,000. Uh, so that's that's the the buyer we went with, and uh, that has only escalated. I mean, everyone hears the stories now. We had one in, I mean, it wasn't ours. I wish it was one in California that sold for a million dollars over asking price. And you hear these stories uh, that just across the country, uh, like you said, 10, 20, 30 percent appreciation in in many times less than a year. And uh, that has been great for our book. So all these assets that I was concerned about in COVID, it's almost now great. Some of them were, were not resolved uh, before COVID because now we're, you know, to the extent they're getting resolved, whether it's, you know, um, whether it's an REO being sold or we get a deed in lieu from a family and we're selling that property or we are doing a modification of a, home, of a, of a loan and now selling that, that loan back into the market after it's performed for six or 12 months, in all cases, the prices today are significantly better than COVID, and that's been very, very good for 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 um, for AHP for our funds as well as um, I think just a lot of investors. Anyone who was sitting on 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 assets when COVID hit and was able to make it through those first two months, I think by and large are doing pretty well today. Uh, but that all said, I get concerned that you know with all this wild appreciation, it's we've seen this before. I mean, I've seen it a few times and I've been in real estate since 1990. And, uh, you know, usually these, these wild up, um, you know, the, there's a site, uh, this is all cyclical. And at some point, you know, it goes up, 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 up. And the more it goes up, you know, the, 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 the greater the fall. And I really think there's going to be um, some correction coming up. And I think that will, as always, you know, the, the distress typically creates the, the biggest opportunities. Um, for investors, whether it's multifamily or whether it's notes or whether it's uh, it's single families, and I think that's uh, that's coming. And with it was almost the end of the up cycle when COVID hit, and I thought that was going to be the trigger for it to go down. Now it's gone up, but it's it's there's going to be a, another side to this. Yeah, uh, it's really crazy, right? Uh, also on the multifamily side, we. Uh, we already thought that in 18, 19, that we really are hitting the mm -hmm. plateau, right? 
and uh, was really entered into 2020 with uh, with the expectation that it really cools cools off. They're not and COVID 19 had everyone was scared. Particularly mm-hmm. in March of of uh, 2020, a lot of lenders exited, particularly on the bridge side, CMBS mm-hmm. side, and then things uh, improved very quickly. Obviously the uh, the forbearances that uh, the agencies mm-hmm. were granting and other lenders uh, uh, eviction uh, restrictions and all that combined with with stimulus uh, money that was uh, aggressively pushed out it just uh, helped to uh, to alleviate that that situation in the multifamily world we obviously hospitality and retail was a very different story mm-hmm. and is still uh, struggling hopefully comes uh, just out uh, out of the uh, out from from the bottom now uh, so I, I think what you're uh, uh, telling us here is very similar also on the multifamily side where uh, you mentioned for for your portfolio for for investors and I think also all the various lenders it was really uh, very helpful with with all these appreciations, right? You mentioned there were, is not much of of REO anywhere on mm-hmm. uh, on books, which is not really a surprise, right? When you have all these appreciations, so uh, if, if someone is in a in a house that they cannot afford uh, in a typical market, you have to foreclose, right? Because they they cannot sell and they cannot service that debt. So it needs to be foreclosed. But now, instead of having to foreclose, the, the, the owner just sells that property mm-hmm. for and very often even makes a profit. And I think we see the same thing really on the multifamily side. We have seen a lot of properties that have been mismanaged. Uh, 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 the sponsors and operators are not, do really have not done a great job. But because the appreciation in rents and then NOI and the contraction in cap rates, they were still able to sell these properties at the profit for, for their investors, right? So I think we have a very similar situation on the multifamily side, as you see on the single family side. And it's only a concern uh, of what is going to happen uh, going forward, right? Because we have extremely low cap rates. Why right? can mm. cap rates go lower? We have inflation uh, pressure, which will have an impact on uh, on the longer uh, uh, end of the yield curve, which then has an impact on borrowing cost, mm-hmm. which then has an impact also on the cap rates. Right at some point, you cannot contract cap rates when your ten-year treasury moves up. <laughs> Uh, so there is only a similar concern on the, on the multifamily side. The question is when is it when is it going to turn? Right, uh, right now, similar to what you see on the single family side, uh, the interest in multifamily by investors is just uh, through the roof. Right, mm-hmm. everyone wants to invest in multifamily, so there is such a high demand which uh, pushes again cap rates even lower. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, you have more and more people that that are investing in multifamily. So do you see the same thing uh, on the single-family side with with investors still rushing into single-family homes too? Investors and home buyers. I mean, everybody's caught. Uh, you know, is is very enthusiastic. The low interest rates make it affordable. I mean, we we have an origination arm, HP Mortgage Direct, and we uh, we are seeing situations where. 
um, we just did one recently where the the tenant purchased the home where she was renting from the landlord and her rental rate was $1,100 uh, and her all-in payment, principal interest, um, taxes insurance and mortgage insurance was $455. So she cut her payment, um, her housing costs by more than half. Uh, um, and that was just dramatic. So when people see those types of numbers, hey, it's cheaper to buy than to rent. Uh, we are... Uh, it makes financial sense to do so. Now, the unfortunate part is the reason they're buying their, their payments are so cheap is because the rates are so cheap. They're still, it makes them less sensitive to the fact that, hey, this price is kind of, is historically high what you're paying for the for the home. But if they can afford it, it, it makes sense. And these are typically buying buying today at fixed rates. So um, it'll keep their, their housing costs low. But that is put, you know, we'll, it's continuing to push these up. And uh, it is a little bit, um, Concerning now, um, I, well, concerning and also, you know, there's going to be an opportunity, but it also what what happens and what I anticipate happen is today, like you said, if if a if a property owner gets into trouble, they can oftentimes sell and walk away with some money in their pocket, so they're happy. Um, but lenders today, if a homeowner isn't willing to sell, some homeowners, uh, if they have, um, if their income was disrupted by COVID then they are, there's foreclosure moratoriums put in place for them, which is, um, was the right thing to do. But then that, there's certainly some people in there who weren't impacted by COVID, but are not paying the mortgage because they can do it. Uh, I think there will be a, um, once all these foreclosure moratoriums lift, you know, we'll, we'll see which families can uh, get under some longer term modification or something to stay in their home and which ones aren't and end up having to sell um i mean having to get foreclosed upon now that will create some more REO inventory once that supply increases it's got us it's got us um kind of temper this appreciation and maybe even trigger uh trigger downturn in all likelihood and what happens you know all these people that bought the homes kind of today at what may be the the height of the market you know fast forward a year or two and now property values are dropping and they may be able to make their payments. They may be making their payments, but all of a sudden they owe 20 or 30% more, you know, the house is worth, you know, they bought it for 200 and now it's only worth um, 140 or 150 and um, they owe 190. They may be saying, Hey, you know, just like people did in 2008, 9, 10, 11, 12, where they were saying, why should we pay on a house that we owe, you know, 20% uh, more than it's worth. Uh, and then you, then people that even can pay default and that kind of adds to the inventory, adds to the foreclosures and, uh, you know, kind of helps fuel the downturn. So there is gonna be a turning point to this. Uh, no one knows exactly when, but once it happens, uh, the, since we've, we've appreciated so high, it's, there is high likelihood that it will be a severe, um, severe downtown. Yeah, yeah. Uh... Uh, it's it's only if, uh, when we when we look at uh, the borrowing costs today, mm -hmm. right, uh, it's it's really a question of where where we are going to be in a in a year from now. I I personally feel that the ten year treasury will be above the the two percent mark in the mm -hmm. in the near future, early in the year. Uh, I predicted it will hit the one fifty when we were at one one ten, and a uh -huh. month later we were already at one fifty. 
Uh, now it has, we were at 170 plus for a brief period. Now we are down at the 160 mark. Uh, but I think the pressure, inflationary pressure is just very, very strong there, right? And that is only also the fear on the multifamily as well as single family side. Once these borrowing costs move up, uh, you uh, investors just cannot pay Mm. Uh, these uh, these uh, these these debt services uh, once these rates move up, so they have to offer less for for these investment properties, right? So obviously, one th- one side is our actual homeowners uh, that uh, that may or may still be able to afford it, but at some point it limits them and then they have to offer less for a, for a new home. And then you have all the investors that obviously run the numbers and once the numbers do not make sense, they cannot pay mm-hmm. what they would have been willing to pay before. Uh, so one question I have there on the single family side, I think uh, uh, FHA uh, has come out with some new rules when it comes to investment properties, single family investment properties. Uh, where I think the rates have increased, the qualifications have also been tightened. So have you seen already there a little bit of a uh, more more difficulty for investors to get reasonable financing terms on investment properties? Actually, I've not seen that yet. Uh, even if FHA, you know, tie, FHA tightening the requirements, there's plenty, there's so much capital sloshing around in the economy right now. There's plenty of lenders out there who are offering options uh, for investors. So I think the capital is still, if an investor wants to buy a property, uh, they can usually find the capital. Um, maybe not FHA to your point, but they'll find it. Um, there's plenty Wolf of sources. sources. Yeah, yeah, there's plenty of yeah. sources. Yeah. So uh, that's maybe a prudent move on FHA's part. I mean, anticipating what we've discussed is, hey, we need to, I mean, investors are going to have the same issue and maybe even more so when uh, they have a single family and they, um, you know, property value drops. So they owe, you know, um, you know, 180, 190 on a home that's now worth 150 and dropping, that will be a, that's a reckoning. They're going to say, Hey, and then it goes vacant or something like that. Are they going to walk away from this? Are they going to, what are they going to do? Do a short sale? Uh, What are the, what are the solutions to that? Um, And with a business owner, it's, or an investment property owner, it's typically, you know, they're making decisions based on the numbers. Homeowners are often, you know, uh, also may, making decisions based on emotion. You know, I want to stay in the home, my kids are there and stuff like that, which is understandable. Um, but investors, it's, it's going to be the numbers and it's tough to justify, you know, when you're severely underwater. We saw it last time, a lot of people just walked away and multifamily too, and it just doesn't make sense. And uh, from a business perspective, um, so we'll see how it, uh, see how this one fares. It'll be, you know, interesting to have this conversation in, um, you know, in a year and two years and, and, and kind of tie back to what we're talking about today and, and, I mean, my expectation, we're going to have this, we could have the same conversation somewhere between a year and, and two years. And we're going to be looking back at this date, April 15th, uh, 2021. And we're going to say, what was everyone thinking? Uh, they're paying prices that are, are just ridiculously high. Um, and it just didn't make sense. And people, but people forget. I mean, th- we've had this environment before 2008. And every time it gets like this, people say, well, this time is different because dot, 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 whatever the reason, and it's never different. There's always a cycle. There's always a downturn um, that, that, that follows, um, you know, the significant um, upturn. Yeah. 
uh, certainly a very good point, right? Uh, as, as we have seen on the single family side in 2006, 2007, uh, everyone was, was investing, right? Mm -hmm. Obviously, money was r readily available and yep. that, that helped. So now, uh, forward to today, money is readily available, as you ah. mentioned, right, to, uh, to finance some of these acquisitions, particularly on the investment side, right? Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, so uh, we also see that on the multifamily side, I would mm -hmm. say there are very good operators right, that, that are doing it as a true business. They have a, an understanding of the risks and uh, know operations well. But we certainly see plenty of people that are entering into multifamily uh, that have been uh, in, a, in a very good spot because the market helped them mm -hmm. uh, rescue them in previous deals that they have done over the last five to seven years. Uh, they really have won uh, and made good money for themselves and then investors not because of their operational performance, but because the market was essentially helping them. Mm -hmm. And I think that brought in more, more investors into the marketplace with, with the view, oh, multifamily is easy. <laughs> and, uh, right? you, you make money here, that's, that's all the returns that you can generate. And I think what we see is there are a lot of operators that, that are not really, that should not be a multifamily at all. Uh, and we've, I, I predict that we will see some opportunities there because these operators will not will not be able to perform once the market turns, right? Once, once rent uh, again, not just flatten but potentially uh, go down, but also operating costs goes up, right? Even if rent stay the same, inflationary pressure is also on the expense side, and a lot of them will not be able to operate at the, at, the, at the profit that they predicted. And you just need some cap rates uh, going up. And then suddenly they realize, as you, as you mentioned, oh, now I don't really have any value uh, mm -hmm. any, in that property. So what I do now, I think it's not worthwhile to, to spend our time here because I've, uh, as a GP, as a general partner sponsor, I spend all my time here and I likely will not see any money anymore mm -hmm. uh, still. And that's when typically the, the tide turns. Uh, so I completely agree with you what we have seen back in, in 2005, six and seven with that frenzy. We mm -hmm. really have a very similar frenzy today, mm -hmm. right? It's, uh, uh, and it's, uh, uh it doesn't mean that one should not invest, right? If it's if it's smart investing, but there's only a lot of players that are just uh, jumping in and hope for the best. And we see a lot of operators uh, and sponsors that haven't bought a property for more than a year that are very experienced. So you always have to wonder why is it that the ones that are really doing the, their due diligence, they're vertically integrated and know what they are doing, why are they not buying by newcomers or just gobbling up one property after another? <laughs> it's true. You made a comment earlier, which I think is very accurate, that a, um, even today, because of the appreciation, a, a weaker operator can look like a big success story. Um, but remember, uh, I think there's another part of that, which is uh, in, a, in a downturn, in a bad market, even a strong operator can look bad. Uh, so I think it, it goes both ways. So right now everybody looks good. Uh, anybody 
you know, was holding assets when and was able to make it through um, COVID, real estate assets are generally doing very, very well. And I think, um, but now, you know, you hold too long. I hate to say it, but this is, you know, these are almost like these market frenzies make real estate seem like a pyramid scheme. You know, everybody makes money except the last guy to buy, the last person to buy. Um, and they are the ones that the market turns, they're holding the property and, and, and all those gains are given back and the, the pyramid collapses. So uh, we're, I, I mean, for anyone out there buying, I, I really have to say, um, and, and I think Anthony made a good point, you know, a lot of experienced buyers are on the sidelines right now, or they're probably sellers if they, if they have, have stuff to sell uh, because we're, we've got to be right near the top of that pyramid. Yeah, uh, certainly, certainly very close. And the question is, how much upside is still there, other than just a speculative mm -hmm. element to it, right? Yeah. Uh, so, uh, will be very interesting to see what's uh, what's uh, happening over, over the next uh, year or two. So, we certainly should follow up in a year or two from now mm -hmm. and see how how things have evolved. And who knows, maybe. Uh, we we are still in that frenzy, so somehow it uh, it it stretches out more and more, right? Mm. Uh, because of additional stimulus money and uh. or forbearances that are being further pushed out. Uh, who knows, right? But mm -hmm. as, as you said, at some point it needs uh, the mar it needs to adjust, right? Uh, uh, because there is only so much that that one can stretch and. Uh, as we have seen with the stock market, it can go on for quite some time. Mm. Uh, there, it's the same frenzy, right? When everyone and uh, and their friend uh, is investing in in GameStop ah. and everything else. <laughs> that's exactly that was on the tip of my tongue when you said it. Yeah, so yeah, that that's uh, it's not based on like the the underlying stock. It's all speculation at that point. That's right. That is, yes. uh, short term, yeah. people make a lot of money, and that's. Uh, and you know, good for them. But somebody somebody bought it at that top price and didn't do so well. So yeah, that's right. So uh, hopefully, if, uh, uh, no one who is listening will be at the top uh, of the of the mountain on the buying side, right? Because exactly. it's only. And if someone is, then hopefully they have enough uh, equity in the property and a lot of cash reserves that they can run it through two to three years of a. Uh, of a tough situation, mm -hmm. right? And I think that is when we look back to 2008, nine, and ten. Uh, even the ones that uh, uh, had a cash flowing property, if they had to refinance right at mm -hmm. that point, they still lost the property, right? Because the value, as you mentioned, right, once the value drops to, you mentioned the single-family property of 200,000 now 150. If you have to refinance right at that point, even though it was cash flowing in the with your previous mortgage to service that debt, no one is willing to refinance it mm -hmm. for the previous loan. So you need to bring equity to the table. And if you don't have that, well, you you essentially have to walk away. Mm -hmm. And the same thing happened also on the multifamily side, where someone, uh, if someone was caught right there to refinance, uh, during that tough period where values dropped by around 20% right at the, mm. at the on the multifamily side during a, a relatively short period. But it doesn't matter whether it just drops for, by 20% uh, for one year and then recovers after that. 
if you have to refinance right at that point, it doesn't matter, right? Yeah, exactly. A lender doesn't say, well, let's wait for uh, f- for another year and see where the values are, right? Uh, mm-hmm. uh, so I think the the message there probably is only on the multifamilies. I make sure that you don't that you always have a cushion of two to three years so that you do, are not forced to refinance. And I do not know how it is on the single family side where you have a similar situation where some investors are more into short term loans where the risk obviously is much higher if you are forced to find another loan mm-hmm. if the market turns. Right? Yeah, that's, it's the same thing. I mean, any, anybody, especially on a, on a for investors who are taking out fix and flip or bridge type financing for a year or two, hoping to add value and then resell. Um, you know, they get caught midway, then uh, when the market turns, that's, you know, it, it is impo- you know, very difficult to refinance. They have to bring cash in, the market values drop. That's why every time these things, the market turns, there's always some, you know, big construction in this, in the, um, you know, in, in big buildings that are half done and they're left half done because everyone walks away and the lender gets to figure out what to do with it. Uh, yes, so. uh, ab- absolutely right and uh, we already have seen it right i have uh, some friends that are in the f- uh, fix and flip uh, 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 world and there was already a phase in 2019 when uh, when it happened where uh, particularly in high value markets in along the coast in california where where they were caught with with buying a property too high thought mm-hmm. that again rehab it and sell it and then some realized uh, uh, there is not as much demand as it was just a few months earlier and they've uh, as you know right once you have these million plus dollar properties the carrying costs with harmony loans are just through the roofs and uh, uh, a lot of them they already back then had to sell uh, at the loss just to mm-hmm. get out of it and that was just a slight dip for a brief period of time and the markets kind of cooled down uh, so I, I would say that's kind of a, just a sign once the market really turns then things uh, start unraveling very quickly mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah it could be weeks or months I mean it's not very long yeah, and you and you don't want to be caught. I mean, uh, right now we're trying to sell everything we can, and and uh, and I think that's uh, you know do that because it does. You're right; it happens very fast, and no one's saying, you know, hey, it happened. It's just suddenly people start hey start hearing, hey, stuff isn't selling. There's more supply on the market, or or or, or whatever the the components. Interest rates rise, and and we start seeing, and then there's something like COVID. It didn't happen this time, but usually there's like one event. Which you know, then the news is all talking about. Hey, the market's crashing, and and um, so that's going to happen. I mean, yeah. I, I it just happens. It happens every yeah. Yeah, 1990, you know, 2000, um, 2008. Uh, yeah. There's 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 multiple times this has happened over over the over yeah. our lifetimes, and it will continue to happen. Yeah, people should never be surprised, but they always seem to be. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so obviously there there will be plenty of opportunity there, right? Uh, I think it's now it's more important than ever to invest smart, right? So that you have that cushion in whatever you're investing. That uh, either you're on the uh, beneficial end if 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 things go go sideways or go down, 
or you have enough of a cushion that you can ride out the storm, mm-hmm. right? So I think these are the, the two strategies. And I think you, it's only with your uh, programs for investors, you, you're offering some alternatives there. Before we uh, uh, end, I was just wondering, since we have a lot of in, investors and sponsors that are also doing 506Bs, 506Cs, some of them are also considering the larger ones, the reg A's. Sure. Uh, so maybe you just can give a, kind of a, a, a picture of how easy it was for you to transition from a 506C to a reg A offering. Obviously, it's costlier. It's more time uh, consuming. But how was your experience there to start out uh, moving over from the 506C side? Yeah, so 506Cs are very, I mean... In, in relative to regulation A plus are very easy. They can, you can set them up. You don't have to wait for the SEC to review everything. You can just, if you comply with the guidelines, you can get a site up um, and an offering up fairly, fairly promptly. Regulation A plus, you need to put together the offering statement package and submit it to the SEC. And then you, we've, we went back and forth several times. I think our first one took um, seven, eight months uh, to get it uh, qualified by the SEC so we could finally start raising capital. Um, and the second one took almost about the same amount of time. We're working on a third one now that we've already submitted to the SEC a couple months ago. And um, so it is a back and forth process. It costs a lot more money uh, in legal fees. I mean, I think the 506C, I forget the numbers, but it's in the $10,000-ish range, whereas the Regulation A plus is closer to the $75,000 range uh, to get it up. But Regulation A plus. I mean, the huge advantage is that you're you can accept money from non-accredited investors, which still most non-accredited investors have limited investment options. Uh, so once a, there's a viable Reg A offering up, there's definitely interest, uh, or let's, certainly what we found. I mean, both of our, our last two funds have had more than a thousand investors each, and uh, that has um, that's it, it makes it. I mean, when we had a 506C, we, we'd be, you know, kind of marketing the, the fund. I remember talking about it on, on a local radio show and they, uh, and we had an investor walk into our office with a hundred thousand dollar check and Hey, I want to invest. I heard about it. Sounds great. And, but then we discovered he was not accredited and we couldn't take the check. We had to, <laughs> sorry, we can't take it. Uh, and that was, uh, so those are, there's definitely, you're going to, the marketing that you do for 506C will hit non-accredited investors will attract non-accredited investors and you're gonna, you have to turn them away. For, whereas Regulation A+, plus, there's limits on how much they can invest, but still they can invest. And that I think is, uh, makes your offering much more scalable. So, you know, anything we do in the future is, is Regulation A+. Plus. Um, you know, our goal is to take the next step uh, to actually do a public offering, you know, listed on the exchange. That's fast forward a few more years, but that's where we want to eventually get. Uh, but that's you know, our transition, our we first started out with a, just a traditional, in 2011, a traditional um, hedge fund where we had to print out our, I forgot what they were called, our prospectus. We had to, we had to number them when, when we handed them out. Uh, and that was um, you know, very, we couldn't market. We couldn't, if I talked to someone in the media, I couldn't tell them what, what we paid and turn our investors. But that all changed with crowdfunding in 2013. I think there's a, uh, it's a lot of opportunity. I'd, I'd encourage investors to, um, to uh, go the crowdfunding route, definitely. Yeah, yeah very good. So the, the actual uh, crowdfunding side, do you, do you have your own platform or do you have use a third-party platform that manages it all for you? Because that's obviously is a challenge 
then you have investors that come in with a hundred dollars, a thousand dollars. That's a 506C managing investors is like of a, a walk in the park in comparison. Right? So, <laughs> Regular. Yeah. yeah. So here's uh, my perspective, um, which is probably a le- outlier, but I think it's served us well over the long term. When you go to a third party platform and they handle all the back end for you, very attractive. But the, um, the downside to that is they own those investor relationships. When someone goes to Realty Mogul or Patch of Land or you know, any of the other sites, that they're they're going there and that's they identify hey i've invested in this opportunity on realty mogul even though it was you know your your um your fund or your apartment complex that they were offering and so when you do it on your own and you build up a brand as you know xyz you know apartment um investment fund and you you build up that brand over time you know you're developing a an email list and and uh and in, and in a group of investors who identify with XYZ uh, apartment investing fund. And I think that's a huge value. So if you're looking to do this long-term raise money, uh, then uh, we, we did it that route. And uh, it was slower going at the beginning because we couldn't plug into you know, one of the big uh, platforms uh, existing network of investors. So we had to build up our own investor network. So I'd be on pod, I'd be on podcasts like today. I'd be on radio shows. I'd be on blogs, uh, speaking at conferences. But all of it was to kind of build um, our investor base, build awareness of AHP, and as a result, build our, our investor base. And we kind of control, own those relationships. We put up webinars, you know, which we do periodically, pretty frequently, and you know, give investors updates. Uh, and that's our audience. So I think that's. Um, huge value. If you're looking at this long-term, I think that's a, uh, and do multiple raises. I think there's a lot of value in doing it on your own. And there are plenty of plug-in uh, services that you can use kind of for your backend. So even though they're going to, in our case, an AHP site or AHP servicing today, then and investing on the backend, we're oftentimes levering uh, different technology solutions or, or different service providers uh, to process those funds. Uh, but that is I mean, it's like Amazon. I wrote a book called Burn Zones about you know all the uh, building up that portfolio of 4,000 units and then losing it all. And uh, I sell it um, directly through my own site and I sell through Amazon. And the majority of the sales go through Amazon. And the problem with Amazon is they know that uh, they own that customer relationship. I just get royalties and I don't know who bought it. it I'd love to have those, um, those book buyers in my um, database so I can you know, build relationships with them. So same thing, uh, a lot of value. If you're doing this long-term, I definitely encourage you to have your own portal and, um, and build up your own um, investor following. Yeah, excellent point, right? Uh, on, on your client, right? And on mm-hmm. your customers rather than uh, uh, someone else. That's a Absolutely. really uh, excellent recommendation. Uh, one more question on the, on the Reggae Plus uh, side from in terms of, of reporting and auditing from the SEC side, have you had some some issues there or uh, no issues? Yeah. No, no issues. It's just a, it's an additional layer of work, is what it is. I mean, not in a bad way. We have to have audited financials, so you have to get your financials audited each year, and then you need to file, you know, the audits, and you need to file other filings with the SEC on a regular basis. Uh, and you know, it, but it's fairly easy to map out like they're due on such and such a date. And, um, and you need to get them done. And that is, um, so yes, there's more requirements, but I don't think it's, um, 
I don't think they're extraordinary and they're predictable. Um, so you, so it's manageable. Uh, if you're doing this at scale for long term, I think I think it makes sense. I mean, our goal is to yeah. use our experience, having audited financials, you know, public, you know, reporting through Edgar through the SEC site, uh, you know, as, as we keep growing into larger and larger funds and and eventually hopefully getting listed on exchange. That's all good experience um, because we're going to need to do that on on an increasingly um, um, robust level. Sure. Yeah. And uh, obviously having all the financials also helps the, the confidence by investors, right? So, Absolutely. So they can can trust it. Obviously, mm -hmm. there are always cases that the auditors miss something, but it's definitely yeah. uh, an additional layer of, of protection. There is no doubt about that. Uh, so, George, uh, uh, thanks again for adding uh, so much value to, to our listeners today. Uh, how how can uh, they reach you? Obviously, you have different investment platforms mm -hmm. uh, uh, from uh, AHP uh, as well as uh, pre-REO. Uh, so why don't you give us uh, your contact details so that the listeners sure. reach you? Yeah, absolutely. You can go uh, learn about our um, AHP servicing, our crowdfunding opportunity. You can go to ahpservicing.com. If you're looking to buy a distressed mortgage or learn more, we also sell REOs. You can go to prereo.com and uh, you know, on there, there's plenty of contact information if you want to reach me or anyone on our team. Um, so I encourage and welcome um, any inquiries, feedback, uh, thoughts. Uh, please reach out. We'd love to talk. All right. Great. Uh, thanks again for coming on and sharing uh, all your knowledge with us. I appreciate that, Anton. Th thanks yeah. for having me on. Yeah, thank you. I right, talk to you later. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Peak Market Watch. Please be sure to subscribe to the podcast to stay up to date on the latest episodes. If you're interested in receiving a free commercial real estate loan quote for your property, click the link in the description. We look forward to connecting with you on our next episode of Peak Market Watch.